African-American school that existed during Jim Crow, the Shuford Memorial School that's out in Grand Prairie. And so the kids, we're really proud of them. They've been working hard. We've been putting it out on social media, so if you see it, please share it. There are also the kids have been doing, they've had to become uh, music producers. They've had to edit their own film. They did their own interviews. They had to create their own stories. And so they had to do all this work, and so it's coming to fruition. And so if we can assist them uh, by helping them with their fundraiser, trying to raise $500 to finish up some of the production and some of the work that goes along with that. And so we just uh, lift them up today. We just thank for the youth. Uh, uh, Deborah's one of the youth that's engaged in that. She's on the sound of the, in the media today. Who else is engaged with that? Any other youth here that engaged? We're missing quite a few today. So... So without further ado, so that's October 13th at Lee Street Theater at 7 o'clock. Look out on social media for that. I'll send an email out for those who are on the email list. So if you are a first-time guest uh, today, please fill out a visitor, uh, a connection card, and so we can keep you in the loop about what's happening here at Mission House. And so without further ado, I won't be, uh, I ain't going to say I won't be long. Y'all know. Uh... But I will try not to be long today. Um, but we're going to continue our series that we started. We're going to finish it up today. And it is a kingdom state of mind. We're going to finish this up today. And so one of the things that we've been talking about, uh, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, talking about what is the kingdom of God. And what is required, those of us who have been called to follow Jesus, somehow, for some reason, have been captivated uh, by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, we've been drawn to Jesus, captivated by him for whatever reason. Some of y'all probably were scared into the kingdom. Some of y'all was probably loved into the kingdom. Some of y'all probably dragged into the kingdom or church, right? You can be in church and not be in the kingdom, right? Read the Gospels. And so what we're talking about is Jesus talks about the gospel, right? What is the gospel? And so just to rehash this real quick, this is very important because there seems to be a lot of confusion about what is the gospel. And so in Mark chapter 1, you don't have to go there yet, but in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Mark gives us Jesus' summation or summary of what the gospel is. And Jesus says it quite plainly. He says, repent and believe the good news. The good news is that the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God has arrived. Pretty simple, huh? That's Jesus. And so, for the purposes of this series, and even in our mission labs, our Bible labs, during the week, on Wednesday nights at 7, we dig a little deeper into the Gospel of Mark, right? Because one of the things we realize is that even though we live in the Bible belt, it's stunning the amount of people who go to church their whole lives know very little about the Scriptures, it's specifically the Gospels, the very teachings of Jesus. Jesus told people to go into the world, Matthew, uh, Mark 16, Matthew 28. If y'all raised in church, y'all know what Jesus says, go into the world and what? Make disciples. Now the church has flipped that and said, go and make a whole bunch of church members. Because you can be a church member, you can be a part of a religious institution your whole life and never learn how to get the teachings, those red letters, down into your body, down into your bones. It is possible. 
And so we're about the business of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus lays it out there. And so for the purposes of our series, we define gospel according to what Jesus says in Mark. And so we reword it a little bit to make it more relevant to what we're trying to do. The gospel is this. That God is making the world new and healed through Jesus the Christ or King by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say it again. The good news is that God is making the world new and healed through Jesus the Christ or King in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've been talking about what does this mean. And so we started out in Mark chapter 1. We talked about how Mark kicks this thing off and how God literally, uh, what Mark is saying, that God has literally been set loose in the world. What, what does it look like for God to be unleashed on the world and in the, on the human population? What does it look like for God to be unleashed in a situation amongst the human population that is oppressed and, and sick and, and broken and under the weight of political and social oppression? What does it look like for God, this God, the God of Israel, the God that frees slaves out of Egypt, the God that, that woke up prophets and called them to prophesy to kings and rulers? What happens when this God is unleashed in the world? This is what the gospel seeks to answer. This is what it looks like when God is unleashed. Y'all know God is wild. Amen. I've been paying attention to Destiny Post and Nina Simone, our coach throughout the past couple weeks. I'm going to ask you about that. I love Nina. Right. There's a song that Nina Simone has called Wild as the Wind. In John chapter 3, Jesus talks about the movement of the Spirit. He says, the spirit blows whether it wills, meaning that God is totally free. God is wild, meaning that humans can't control God. Meaning that our ideas about God can't control God. What you believe about God can't control God. God is not bound by your arithmetic. Your former leg understandings of the world. God is totally wild and undomesticated. People have died trying to contain this God. <laughs> Let's jump to the text. So we're talking about kingdom mindset. So we're talking about the kingdom of God arriving. So what does it look like for people, those of us who claim to uh, have become a part of the kingdom of God? So one of the things we talked about is, and we talked about this in the lab last week, there's a whole lot of language in the church today about how we're called to build the kingdom of God. Let me just burn that cow real quick. Nowhere are we told in the New Testament specifically, neither are we told by Jesus to build the kingdom of God. In the gospel, check it for yourself. In the gospels, and even in the New Testament, the, the, the human relationship to the kingdom of God is that Jesus says you can see it, you can enter into it, you can inherit it, and you can participate in the kingdom of God. 
But as a church, as human beings, we are not called to build the kingdom of God. Why? Because the Bible says, Jesus said this, he says, pray that the kingdom comes. Now, how are you going to build something that comes on its own? <laughs> how are you going to make something that arrives on its own power? I know, I know. Some of y'all watch TVN and Christian television, Christian radio, and y'all read a whole bunch of Christian books, and, and it's popular these days, talk about the kingdom. Since Mama Roe wrote that book, you know, y'all, <laughs> you, you think that we're called to build the kingdom. Whole churches and ministries that built around this language, and I kind of get it, Right? I don't want to belabor a point. I don't want to kill this. But the, my point, though, is that the kingdom of God is just that. The kingdom of who? God. So your job is learning how to discern and to see and to, and to learn how to participate when the kingdom of God shows up in your life, in your world, in your community, in your family. Do you know what it looks like when the kingdom of God arrives? See, that's what we got to teach Christians. To be able to discern and see and be able to uh, recognize when the kingdom of God shows up, when the kingdom of God arrives in our lives. Do we know what it looks like when the kingdom of God arrives? And it's simple. Read your Gospels. You want to know what it looks like when the kingdom of God arrives? Look, look, look at what happens in the Gospels. When Jesus shows up, this is a snapshot. So you won't be left to your own imagination. What happens in gospel scenes when Jesus arrives in the scene? Pay attention to that. See, people with a kingdom state of mind, they're learning how to discern when the kingdom of God arrives in their lives and the world around them. Not how to build it, but to know when it arrives. Hmm. Let's go to a scene when Jesus arrives, when the kingdom arrives. There's two scenes I want to read to you today, really short scenes. This is in uh, Mark chapter 4. The first one is Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. Some of you are familiar with this passage. This is the infamous Jesus in the storm with the disciples scene. And mind you, before I read this text, I want you to understand what has happened up to now. Jesus has been doing the work of the kingdom of God. And he has been performing miracles. He has been teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God. He's been performing and also challenging power. He's been challenging conventional thought about what it looks like when God's kingdom shows up. And so I love this passage. Let's, start, let's jump right into the story. If you can roll with me today, if you can ride with me today in Jesus on this journey in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it opens up that day when evening came. We always tell people in lab, Pay attention to the time of day. Pay attention to the geography. Pay attention to the scenery of what's happening. The day is about to end. Night is coming. He said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And let me just tell you now, 
Everybody under the sound of my voice that has made a decision to follow Jesus, who has decided to enter into a very intentional, uh, choice-filled decision to walk after and to follow Jesus, I'm going to let you know right now, there will be seasons when you have to cross over to the other side. Turn to your neighbor and say, cross over. Yeah, I'm be like, after I finish later on, I'll be like, I don't know if I should have said that. Because <laughs> there's a lot that happens when we cross over. In verse 36, it says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. So they, they're bringing Jesus with them in the boat. They said Jesus gave the command, hey, let's go to the other side. And they bring Jesus in the boat with them. There were also other boats with him. Mm, we have to miss that. There are other boats with them going to the other side. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you know? Don't you care if we drown? The imagery here is that of the sea and fishermen getting on the boat, hearkening back to the Old Testament stories of, of, of ancient Israel crossing the Red Sea or, or when Jonah is on the boat. Y'all know the story of Jonah, right? He's on the boat and the storms are raging and the, the people that are driving the boat trying to figure out what's going on. Have we offended the gods? Because in the ancient world, the belief was that the sea was the abode of monsters and, and sea creatures and, and chaos. It was also understood symbolically that the sea represented the unruly part, the rebellious part of creation, the part of creation that constantly rebelled, of forces that constantly rebelled, that tried to repel the will of God. That's why you see in scripture, God is always taming the seas. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was not void. I mean, the earth was, was void. Right? And this is the, the spirit of God hovered over the waters. In the word Hebrew, that chaos and confusion, chaotic waters. The spirit of God hovered over them to bring them into uh, synchronicity into, into some kind of order, some kind of harmony. And so one of the things we see in the scriptures is that God uh, speaks to seas and, and chaotic waters to bring them into alignment to his will. And so we see here in this imagery disciples are going across and Jesus is sleeping which demonstrates his trust in God. And I love the disciples, they wake him up and they said to him, Teacher, they don't say Lord, they don't say Christ, they don't say King, they say teacher because at this point they don't really fully understand who Jesus is. And so here's the thing, y'all, you can be in the boat with Jesus and not understand who he is. He's a great moral person and exemplar for us all. And in the ancient world, the word, the boat in early Christianity, the symbolism of the boat in earliest Christianity was that of the church, of the community of disciples. Uh, and, and that's what, uh, hearkening back to the ark of the, uh, the ark with Noah and his family. And so the church was seen as the ark of God, the, the boat of God, and where the community, where you can find refuge and haven amongst the, the, the 
monsters and the chaotic forces that are around us. But here these men are in the boat with Jesus and they don't fully understand who he is because they, if they understood who was in the boat with them, they probably would have had to ask a different kind of question. But they were like, Jesus, we all going to die. Notice what he said. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They think Jesus is going to drown with them. He got up. Have you seen his wife in his sleep? Yeah, Jesus had sleep in his eye, I'm sure. His wife in his eye. And I love this. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, the wind, he rebuked, and he says to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And I can tell, imagine him turning over to his disciples and saying, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? What is he saying? I, I never could understand what Jesus was saying there. And then verse 41, the key, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. We missed this. The storms, the waves, listen to Jesus before the disciples did. These storms obey God. Then why is it that you place more faith and more, you're more blown away by the circumstances and storms that come along in your life when in this particular story, the very storms and circumstances that surround the disciples, they actually have to obey God. You in the storm. But you got to understand, child of God, that even the storms obey God. That's why Jesus is like, for real? I'm in the boat with y'all. See, faith understands that even storms and circumstances and even the opposition that surrounds us, even those realities have to obey God. They have to hear God. And we talked about this before, the power of the word of God. Here is the word of God. The word made flesh in the boat with them and the word of God speaks to the circumstance around them and the circumstance dies down, the storm dies down, but they still got the storm in their own hearts. <clears throat> Why are you so afraid? See, there's a storm that is on the outside, and then there's a storm that's on the inside. And what I've learned, brothers and sisters, is that the storm on the outside can be is actually easier than the storm that's on the inside. So the sea understands better than the disciples. The sea, 
the sea and the storm, it has a better understanding of, of who is in the boat than the disciples do. And what you got to understand is that there will always be opposition when we cross over into unknown and previously uncharted territories of our life. Faith understands that over uh, that even our storms have to obey God, but fear sees our storms as more powerful than God. And so what you got to see is when Jesus gives the command to the storm and the waves and the wind, it's, it's the same command he's actually telling the disciples. He's not only commanding the storms that are around them to be still and quiet, he's actually trying to get them to be still and quiet. But when Jesus gives a decree, when Jesus gives a command, because you can imagine the situation, the storm and the winds are around them, and the disciples have internalized the storm, they are fearful, they are agitated, they're just like the storm themselves in their bodies, and when Jesus gets up, and he commands quiet and stillness. It's only the creation, it's only the storm that gets quiet and still. The disciples are still afraid. What is he saying? Sometimes you got to get still in your hell. Some of y'all in a living hell. Some of y'all in a storm right now. Some of y'all in uh, opposition right now. But God says you got to learn how to be still in your head. You got to learn how to quiet your soul in the midst of the storm. I told y'all I wasn't going to be long because we're going to finish up with the last part. So you got to understand, Jesus is in the boat with them. Right? We talked about this before. Mark is trying to teach us how to become disciples of Jesus. And so Jesus is in the boat with them, in the storm. Jesus is trying to teach them, don't let the storm stay in you, but understand that you're in the presence of one who's more powerful than the storm. If you just hear my word, then it gets better. Turn with me to the next passage we're going to read. We're going to finish up here. It's Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 56. Another sea crossing. Mm, interesting. A lot of sea crossings in the Gospels. Verse 45. And I love this. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. <clears throat> Let me interpret this for you if I was one of the disciples. We're going to do this again? <laughs> Hold on, Jesus. Um, we're, you're putting us in another boat again and sending us across the sea again. And notice this time, Jesus ain't going with him. You got to cross the sea this time without me. I'm going to make sure y'all got the first lesson. I want to make sure you understand who I am. So he commands them, get in the bucket. And it's a very strong word that he says, 
get in the boat. It's like a stern command. I know they were like, but Jesus, you know, you know how your kids are sometimes, you know. I don't know about y'all, but I remember when uh, when I was a kid and my dad taught me how to swim. <laughs> he was like, boy, get in the pool. So I'm cool. Look at the edge. I kind of stepped back. I'm shaking. I'm crying. He's like, boy, get in the pool. Y'all probably had nicer parents. <laughs> nicer father than I did. My dad was old school from Alabama, Birmingham. So I remember we were in Florida. I was, I was just so scared. And he literally just picked me up by my trunk and my, my swim trunks. Just threw me in. Now, don't do that, parents. No, you could get in trouble. Please don't throw your kids in the deep end of the pool. If they have not had any swimming lessons. That's true. That's right. Right. But it was very forceful. And this is the scenery. Jesus is saying it's almost like a sense of the, the person that you're giving the command to, there's a little bit of resistance from those who are receiving the command. So it's like, come on, Jesus, really? You're asking me to get into the boat to cross over again to a possible another circumstance Another storm, another uh, a crazy, chaotic situation, and you ain't gonna even be with us this time. I can see him now trying to negotiate. All right, Jesus, all right, here's it. Okay, we won't wake you up this time. You just gonna hang out with us, right? We just need you in the boat, man. Right? Just hang out with us. Is it in the boat? After leaving them, I love Mark, right? He's just emphasizing. He left them, and he went to the mountainside to pray. Mountains in Scripture, places where we meet, where heaven and earth were seen to have met in a very powerful way. God, Jesus went as it was custom to do as a disciple, as a, as as the Son of God, and those of us as followers of Jesus. We should understand this model uh, that Jesus is trying to teach us. You got to go to the mountaintop sometimes. And he went alone. Later that night, it's night again, the boat was in the middle of the lake. <laughs> I love this. Not only did he leave them, not only he sent them out by themselves, the scenery is that they're literally in the middle of the lake. The imagery is that of a point of no return. They're crossing over to the other side. And he was alone on land. So the greatest distance, this is what he's trying to tell you, that they are the greatest distance possible. They are at the point of no return. Jesus is by himself on the land. He's at quite a distance from where the disciples are. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. You can only go so far without Jesus in the boat. I've tried, and sometimes I even try again to go this journey without Jesus in the boat of my own heart. The Bible says that they were straining at the oars. Literally, they were paddling, but their boat was going 
They were stuck. They couldn't even advance because the wind was so great. These non-human forces were so great. The opposition was so great. The storm was greater than their own human power. And so here they are in the boat, and Jesus sees them from a distance. And I can imagine as, you know, I can see Jesus laughing probably. Hopefully they get it this time. They need me in the boat. What happens? Shortly after dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. So I love that. So the scenery is, is night. And they literally the way that the sentence constructed in Greek, they out there for a minute. And so it's right at dawn, Jesus is like, okay, lesson over. The, light, the, sun, the sunlight's about to come up. The dawn's about to come. So Jesus steps out on the lake and walks towards them. He was about to pass by them. But when he saw, when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, right? Remember, because in the ancient world, the belief that seas were the abodes of demons and monsters. And so when they see him walking from a distance, they thought he was a ghost, right? Speaking to the fundamental misunderstanding of who Jesus is. And, and so one time, one of the things I realized is that sometimes uh, when you're in the storm, Sometimes when you are in the midst of opposition yelling at you, seemingly overwhelming your own life, sometimes help looks like a threat. Sometimes we're so overtaken by our anxieties that what comes to bring uh, liberation or freedom or hope or light. Sometimes we can be so uh, wrapped up in our anxieties and so wrapped up in our fears that we can't even see the help that God is trying to bring us. All they saw was a phantasm. They saw Toby from Paranormal Activity. Y'all know about Toby. Anybody seen Paranormal Activity? Good, don't go. I went... And people laugh when I tell them this story, but this is, this is so true. I, I, went, I think it was the first and the second one. I think it was the second one. I've never seen the other ones. I just jumped right into the second one. And told, uh, my daughter, uh, Jasmine, and her friends, they really wanted to go. And me, you know, I don't like just, I really don't like scary movies, right? I'm just going to put it out there. I, 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 like, I, like, I like social horror movies, movies that have a social message to them. Like 28 days, the zombie, you know, zombies always got a social message, right? They get pretty deep, you know. But they should have just horrible. They try to scare the crap out of you. I can't do that. So I was like, okay, I'll go. And so I went to see Paranormal Activity 2. And y'all, there was a Christian prayer group behind us. These folk brought their Bibles into the movie theater to pray for people. I know, it was crazy. I was like, wow, okay, that's, that's a different kind of ministry. Okay. You'll go in, you'll you know, pray for the people. Yo. The first scene was scary as I don't know what. Them jokers, them that Christian prayer group, yo, they jumped out their seats, Bibles and highlighters falling all over the place. 
dropped my Bible. I'm like, and I'm like, what are y'all supposed to be doing? Why are you fearful? You know? And so I, and I realized I had went to the movie. There's a really, really scary scene. Yo, I literally got up and left my daughters and their friends in the movie theater. <laughs> I went to the bathroom and I called my wife. I was like, we got to know they all at home. Because we got to break that out when I get home. We're going to pray. We're going to know the whole house. And I never forget that movie was so scary. That whole week, Jasmine slept on the on the floor on the side of the bed with a cross that I have clenched to her chest. The struggle is real. They thought Jesus was a ghost, but he was help. Because they all saw him were terrified immediately, that's their word. He spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. You're going to have to cultivate your relationship with Jesus. The bottom line is Jesus actually never gets out of the boat. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He told the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans in the world. But what happens is, is that in our hearts, we get out of the boat with him. In our lives, we get out of the boat. And we stop cultivating that relationship with Christ. Through reading the scriptures, through meditation, through contemplation, through prayer, through walking through creation, through nature, and observing God's good creation, and meditating on the word, or bringing before the Lord a question for maybe weeks or months, but dwelling on what the Lord is saying, or a particular key verse of scripture, a flagship scripture, and you're in that season where God is, some of y'all even sitting here today, God gave you a scripture some weeks ago, but guess what? You quit reading it. You quit, you didn't even pace it like you were supposed to. You quit meditating on the word of God. God even gave some of y'all instructions about how to be in presence with him, how to be in relationship, how to sup with him and eat with him and to fellowship with him, but you decided to get out of the boat. And you wonder why you're still straining at the oars. You wonder why you're stuck in the storm. Get back in the boat. Get back in the boat. Don't be like the disciples. Then they climbed into the boat with them. The wind died down, and they were completely amazed. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. What's the point? The disciples still didn't get it. Marcus said, don't be like the disciples. And when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there.
They didn't even reach their destination. In 45, Jesus said, get in the boat and go to Bethsaida. Sometimes when we are offered or not offered, when we are encountering situations that are in direct opposition to what we feel like God has called us to, or when we are in the storm or in the circumstance that overwhelms us, there are moments when you will go off course. There are moments when you will not reach the destination that God has called you to. And sometimes, sometimes you got to make a pit stop somewhere until you get the lesson. And I want to encourage you today. Some of you got out the boat. Some of you got out the boat and some of you landed in a place that you didn't think you was going to land. But when you read the rest of that passage, look what happens. We'll finish here. When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got on the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran out throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to whoever they to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched were healed. What does this mean? Brothers and sisters, even if the storm took you out, even if the storm caused you anxiety and overwhelmed you, even when Jesus had to sprinkle a little grace on your life to give you a little sense of peace, even then, even when you went on a journey, and you ended up on a place where God didn't, God didn't initially send you, but you ended off course, guess what? Jesus will still work in the place that you got off course with. Even when you lost ground spiritually, even when you ended up in a different place way off the map, your spiritual GPS got jacked up. There's still grace for you. There's still love for you. There's still presence for you. The presence of God. Even when we lose ground spiritually. Even when we end up in a different territory. That's not our destination. Jesus will still work wonders in our lives. Amen. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word today. God, give us that kingdom state of mind. God, give us this peace. God, your word says, oh God, that uh, there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. God, may it guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God, teach us how to be still in our own hells. God, teach us how to be compassionate to ourselves, God. Teach us how to be kind, not only to ourselves, but to those of us around us that are struggling, those of us who have gotten off course, those of us, God, who have losing ground spiritually. Teach us, God, how to be kind with them. Teach us, God, how to be present with those, God, in our lives, in our, in our schools, in our, in our church, God, in our community, who have gotten spiritually off course, God. Holy Spirit, give us wisdom and how to be present with these people. 
God, we bless you. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you, God. We address you, God. We, we just glorify your name. God, we thank you that you've not left us, but that you will be with us even past the end of the world, even past our last breath on this earth, that you will still be with us. God, even in our darkest hour, God, even in the night hour, God, you are with us in our boat. <coughs> who are in their boats now. They're in this storm even now. God, I hear your word saying to them, peace, be still. In Jesus' name.